0: I'm excited all of you are here. We think this is a very important topic, uh, one that I think is pertinent to everybody, uh, not just those that are here, but the fact that you are here and and made an effort to come, and uh, the desire of our hearts is to get a godly perspective just on our sexuality, uh, on our culture, and where uh, the world has taken our sexuality, and as well as just... um, Opening up the discussion within the church, I feel like part of, part of the problem is that the church has not addressed some of these issues head on. And as a result, uh, everyone is kind of left on their own to try to figure out what God's perspective of this is. And everyone is left on their own to try to figure out uh, how they utilize their sexuality in their life. And so all of us, I think, have had a sexual education Um, but it's unfortunate that it's not always been um, in the context of of biblical teaching or in a safe environment with family or anything else. We've just kind of learned it on our own and learned it from our peers and learned it from our own experiences. Um, So I'm very glad you're here. One of the things that that we want to be very aware of is that we all come from very different sexual backgrounds and even though we now live in, in a highly sexualized culture, Uh, all of our backgrounds are very different. So there's a lot of pain sexually in a lot of our lives. There's a lot of distortion sexually in a lot of our lives. Some of us have never spoken about it. Some of us have been way too exposed to things um, before we should have been. And so knowing that there's wounds, knowing that there's um, lies embedded in each of us, I really want to pray just a covering over you all and would ask uh, as well for you all to pray a covering over us that um, God's will is accomplished. His, His Holy Spirit protects us. We could just as easily be attacked in different areas of our life, whether it be shame, or guilt, um, or anger. Here, talking about this within a church setting as we can, you know, in the stillness of our own life or in our own homes. So let me start by, by praying for, for you and then uh, we'll, we'll kind of get rolling. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are with us. That your word has promised uh, your presence here, and we believe that your spirit and your word is active and alive, and so we we surrender and come underneath that spirit. And I really do pray that you would move in our hearts and move in our minds today. I do pray for your protection and your covering over our minds. That. Anything that the enemy would like to do to cause division and, and shame and condemnation and uh, bring about death to ourselves and relationships and our souls, I stand against in the name of Jesus. And uh, Satan, uh, we, we command you to leave. God, I trust that you will minister to our hearts and that uh, your word would come alive to us in an applicable way. And in a way that we can lock shields with each other, even just as this body who is here. um, That we would truly function as a unit, as a body, for the betterment uh, of one another. To spur each other on to good works, to encourage each other and strengthen our hand in the Lord. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, One of the big things that we've talked about is this can be an issue that can cause a lot of divisiveness, a lot of division. Some of the things even disagree on um, really what God's intent is, but the desire is... Like I've just said and prayed for this really to be something that we're going to talk a little bit about the the prevalence of the problem. We're going to talk about the dangers of the problem. But we also, our heart's desire is the reason you talk about the problem is so you, the better you understand that you can come up with a solution. And so a big part of the solution is truly going to be uh, uniting together. Uh, and so I know Dad talked, wants to talk about a little bit the two kinds of wisdom uh, that come, and, and our desire, obviously, is to have a, a divine wisdom, so you want to jump in on that?
1: Okay, you have a handout in front of you there that is James 3, 15 through 18, and be patient with us. Uh, we thought of this two days ago, the uh, diagram, and thank Chris in the office that I just kind of explained it to her and she put, drew it out there. I don't expect you to understand all of the diagram. I want you to hang with me on the outside of this wheel, kind of like the rubber part of the outside of the wheel. And we're going to look at James 3. And the, the thing that Nick said that I think it's really, really pertinent for us is when we address issues and we're, we're unclear about them, God says, if you lack any wisdom, ask me, uh, and I'll give it generously to you. There are only two types of wisdom. There is a wisdom from God, and it's from above, and we're going to look at the fruit that is born from that. And then there is another wisdom, and it, the other wisdom is of the world, of religion, but it actually defines it. It says it is a demonic wisdom. There is not an in-between wisdom. It's either from God or it's demonic. And, and you're going to see the fruits of them so you can tell what wisdom we're looking at. Let me read this part, portion in James 3. We'll start with 14. But if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition or strife in your heart, don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. For the wisdom, this wisdom is not that which comes from above, but it is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's natural, and it's demonic. For where jealousy and strife and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder. And that uh, disorder basically says that it is also a a tearing apart there's a separating and every evil thing but the wisdom from above is first pure and it's peaceable it's gentle reasonable it's always full of mercy good fruits it's unwavering and it's without hypocrisy and the seed whose fruit is righteous is sown in peace by those who will make peace And that is the absence of stress that word there it's Irene Uh, in the Greek language and it's the absence of strife and it is the absence of separation. And what we want to look at at this part here is I want to make sure that as we go through all of the information we cover today and and as you know we're gonna make just a jet pass over this. There's so much that could be covered and we're hoping you will take this, look at it, use it, uh, whether it's with children or with each other or with friends you have and uh... and look into it in deeper way we're just gonna actually try to point you in a direction that we know brings victory and try to steer you away from the efforts that we know does not work and uh... i want you to look at the outside wheel there and it says this wisdom uh... that comes from god it's pure and uh... it's always full of mercy and remember mercy is that when somebody does something wrong we think they need to pay for what they did or there's always a consequence. Mercy says no, you're not going to even have to pay for the consequence of your behavior. There's a mercy, there's a blanket that's thrown over the person that allows them freedom and it always brings with it peace which is the absence of strife. It brings unity. The thing I really want you to know and this is what's really important to us and the reason we wanted you if you had somebody to come with you, a spouse or somebody or maybe if you're not married that there's somebody with you I believe one of the things of this issue, because it is kind of so secretive, it hasn't been talked about, as Nick said, there's a tendency to divide in this issue. We want to go ahead and come together and say the purpose of God's wisdom is to draw together in unifying one another. I told Nancy this morning, I said, if this issue uh, comes up, it isn't an issue with just one person. It, the body is connected as a whole, so it affects everybody. Uh, not just one person has the problem. It is a problem where we both come together and we're unified. And I believe, and I think Sherry will talk somewhat about this later, but I believe that if we can approach this as a team and unity, we can actually break through this because where two or three are gathered, God's right there in the midst of them. God says when there's oneness, I will also give you authority over the enemy. And, and so we're, we're looking at every type of, effort that you make to address some of these issues, we want to encourage you to try to make them in unified oneness and together. This is a team thing. The world and the demonic wisdom, and most of the time religion, basically separates. It pulls apart. It says, you're doing this, you're out, and we pull apart, and it brings uh, the very fruits that that it says there will bring, and it's usually an arrogance, a judgment, a shame, and all the different things that are there. So, remember, any information you get, whether it's from listening to the radio, Dobson's really on a a roll with all of this stuff, I mean, uh, uh, McDowell, McDowell. Josh McDowell. Whatever information you get, look here at wisdom. Is it doing what God says His Word does? Is it drawing together in oneness and unity? Or is it pushing apart? What is it doing and what do we want to look at it? And, And that's the thing we really want to emphasize, and we will emphasize it throughout the whole time here today is how we can team up in this and how we can defeat the enemy by being a team I want to give at least a, a disclaimer here I know the perfect scenario and you would see when Nick and Sherry are up here talking you're gonna say wow I sure wish my spouse would respond like this or whatever said uh, you're not limited to having your spouse respond like this God has given victory regardless or not we're just saying The best atmosphere that we can have in addressing these issues is that we team it. We come together as a team, and and when something attacks me, it also attacks my wife. When something attacks my wife, it also attacks me. So rather than divide and point fingers at each other, we want to come together in unified, say, hey, we are gonna join together, we're gonna lock arms, and we together are gonna walk through this. And that's the attitude we wanna help leave you remembering that as we go through all the rest of this information.
0: Um, with that, I, as, as Dad said, this is gonna be just the tip of the iceberg, and I think we, we probably know that, but because I think this issue, sexual sin has been around from the beginning, right? I mean, it's always been around. Uh, but because of the accessibility of, of sexual sin now, I think it's very very dangerous to the church so in one sense you think about a team like uh, your boyfriend your girlfriend your husband your wife in dealing with these things or even within the family a son uh, things like that but I really want to I feel like there needs to be a, a group that is inspired and moved by God to really lock arms together not just with with Sherry uh, but with you all and and I really do see seeing this being maybe the start of that and because i believe that um we haven't seen the effects of this tidal wave of of the prevalence of pornography uh, i think it's very very dangerous to our church because of that those things we just said and so i i think i really want to cultivate with us within the greater church body and, and our communities as a whole uh, really an atmosphere of safety an atmosphere that that we can all address these things. And of course, when we're not used to it, it's a little uncomfortable. Uh, But the reality is we all deal with this on one level or another. And so I really am praying that uh, we can begin to create an atmosphere uh, of safety in this area where uh, you can can invite people into this part of your life. You can be invited into other areas of people's life uh, within our church community so that this becomes a place that... um, this isn't so shameful. This isn't so taboo. And I think we will totally cut the legs off the enemy when we do that. And so please start to consider this, not just uh, you know, me towards Sherry or Sherry towards me, but, but to each other, uh, to the body of Christ. And again, that doesn't mean we have to be uh, accountability partners with everybody or open with all the things that we struggle with or don't struggle with with everyone. But just the reality is that we are going to address this and invite God into this area of our life as a body just like we would any other area okay um, talking about the prevalence of the problem you have any, anything you want to jump in on that okay
1: Proverbs 18.1 says that he who separates himself, and that's the desire or has been separated, will isolate and begin to quarrel against any sound teaching and follow his own emotions, his own soul. That's a pretty clear command that when you separate, you're very vulnerable. So.
0: In, in, even today, our time together, y'all, I don't want to... Uh, no desire to be overly crass or, or graphic in areas that would... Um, not edify, not build up, but I also want to be open enough that all the things that we already are thinking or know that are in our minds or in intimate conversations, I want to be able to talk about. So I don't know where that's going to go, but nerves are pretty normal. Um, I'm a little bit nervous. I don't know if you guys are. Maybe I should tell a sex joke. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Go for it. uh, So Sherry and I got married when we were, I was 19, she was 20, and growing up, we had different um, talks about sexuality in, our, in, our, in my home. And so we were getting ready to get married. I had proposed at that point, and so Dad thought it'd be good to, uh, you know, take us out to a meal, a lunch meal, and talk a little bit more about sexuality. And um, I can't remember if it was before or after the meal, but right as we start opening up a conversation about oral sex, we get in a car wreck. And so I'm saying, Dad, are you, where's your mind at here? You know, just pull out in front of people. So we all get a little bit nervous, a little bit uncomfortable when you're bringing these things out into the light. But again, I think it's, it's, it's of benefit. God talks a ton about bringing things to the light, and I think that totally disarms the enemy. I'm not going to spend a ton of time about the prevalence of the problem because the fact that you are here tells me um, you at least have a desire to face this thing uh, whether it be for yourself, for people you love, or just so that you can be an ambassador for Christ in this area. Uh, average age of exposure to pornography, they, they estimate about 11 years old. And so again, that's average uh, in our country. And I would venture to say now it's, it's younger than that. I would say probably nine years old. And again, that's simply exposure. And we know, you know, my oldest daughter is 10 years old and she has a non-working old cell phone that we try to regulate but social media has totally totally changed the game uh, where it is so so accessible and most of her classmates have access to uh, iPhones with the internet and things like that and so uh, even even when I was growing up exposure was around there but it was kind of a one-time deal it was a you know almost a freak deal I went to a buddy's house and he found his dad's Playboy kind of a thing well now it's in their pockets and so the accessibility of that for us to try to, not just for our kids, but our, our kids as a community, sometimes I think we try to protect their innocence. And I think oftentimes that's to, we're, we're deceived that they are innocent in a sense of what they've been exposed to. So the reality is it, it needs to be talked about within a family and it needs to be talked about pretty early. Um, within a family and, and kids and within the church. And so uh, just to know the largest demographic users of internet pornography in our country is 12 to 17 year olds. So that's the, that's the largest demographic. Now with that being said, um, you talk about, uh, you hear interviews about those who are in the porn industry, the people who are making the money, and there's a quote I read that, that he says, pornography has no demographic. Mm-hmm. And these People make tons of money and commit tons of money to research, and he's saying, yeah, that's the largest demographic, but there is no demographic. I think I told you guys on a Sunday when I was up here, same day I had a nine-year-old girl who was beginning to use pornography. Um, Nine-year-old girl, and the same day, a 75-year-old man came in with an intake form for counseling, and his issue was, I need help because I'm struggling or I'm addicted to pornography. So you see the extreme, and you start to realize um, Satan will, will attack any and all of us. And there's various reasons, different reasons, but it's, it's a prevalent issue. According to a recent Barna research study, nearly two-thirds of self-identifying Christian men, Christian women, view pornography at least once a month. Two-thirds of Christian men, one-sixth Christian women at least once a month, view pornography intentionally. At the same time, I think these, sometimes we hear this and we think, oh gosh, everybody does this. Um, that's not true. I think it's very, very important to realize not every man uses pornography, uh, not everybody is addicted to pornography, not everyone blows it off. It's just in the culture, it, it is active. Uh, there's studies that talk about, I think it's roughly 60 percent of teenagers, which is very a different, if we fielded questions ourselves it'd be different, but 60 percent of teenagers um, believed when they were questioned if not recycling was wrong, most of them, more people said, yeah, that's wrong than using pornography. So again, a lot of those are unchurched kids, but that gives you an idea that we're, we're valuing recycling more than sexual purity. And to their defense, they don't see that as impure. They see that as innocent. Uh, they see that as I'm not, I'm not hurting anyone. And as we'll talk about the effects of this, um, the reality is vastly different. So of course, all of it to say, just know that it's prevalent, um, but at the same time I think those fears can really you know swing to the other side of the pendulum, where all of a sudden there's tremendous fear, there's tremendous anger, or there's this assumption that everybody is thinking about sex all the time, all men are thinking about this, and that's, that's just not true either. Last thing I'll talk about, I think the difference is this, um, <clears throat> there are various levels of the problem. So there are those who are addicted to pornography, where we'll talk through the effects that that has on it, where this is a regular, ongoing thing, multiple, multiple times a week or or daily or multiple times a day, where there's just a severe addiction that they are caught in. There are those that use pornography on a regular basis for different reasons. And then there are those who, on a very distant occasion, happen to either fall into it or fall to it intentionally. And then, of course, there are those that are just totally innocent, just the exposure of it. And so we have to be careful to not categorize uh, an individual or ourselves that, boom, this thing came up out of nowhere, to, oh, now you're going to go here, here, and here, here, and here, and you can't watch my kids because you're going to molest them, and you can't be in the church because... It, it doesn't One can lead to the other, but one doesn't always lead to the other. So I think it's just important to recognize and realize the levels of pornography are just like the levels of other sin in terms of we're all guilty of lust one way or another, and we need to safeguard where it can go. But I hope I'm saying that clearly. At the same time, it's not this up-in-arms thing that if you're struggling with this, you're a child molester. Basically. And I'd say
2: that that would be important for us as parents, too. We are, God made us <clears throat> sexual beings. We are, that is that is a beautiful thing that God gave us. Um, and there's, you know, plenty of, of verses and stuff like that that we can look at that um, show God's pleasure in giving us that. But then we can't, um, it'd be easy if if we found out our 10-year-old, or even when Callie, our oldest, I think it was in first grade, came home with a note that I found in her backpack, and it was someone wrote to her, I want to have sex with you. That would make, uh, my first instinct was like (gasps) she's homeschooled, I'm not sending her again, who sent this to her, we can't say that word, like that was my first reaction, because I didn't expect to be exposed to it so early in first grade Um, and Nick handled it beautifully and but the fact that we our we are sexual beings and God made us that way and so to not fall into fear when our kids are exposed or our spouse is exposed or um, we find ourselves in temptation or whatever that I think what Nick is saying that we we very much need to see the grotesqueness of our sin in all areas of lust, including pornography, but also that there is um, victory and there doesn't need to be a fear that we can bring our kids up and encourage one another in this is how God has made you and this desire needs to be channeled in the right direction and to not just shut down, that that, okay, now we're not gonna talk about that I'm taking everything away, you know, you you are not allowed to be on the internet, you're not allowed to even play on your iPad or, you know, to just shut everything down will only cause ar- and arouse more curiosity. And so I think that's part of our desire too, is to learn and understand that this is a good thing to talk about amongst ourselves so we don't have to be fearful that, Um, you know, this is part of our culture. You drive down the road and you're going to see a billboard or you walk by Victoria's Secret. Everyone is exposed. And so um, we need to learn how to show the beauty of what God has made you. And your curiosity is a God-given gift, and this is how we're going to direct and guide it in a holy way.
0: Um, One thing, do you have anything to add to that? Okay. I want you guys to think through, to make sure that we approach each other and ourselves with godliness, where we will never, ever, ever compromise the standards of God, but it will always be done in love. Uh, One of the greatest pictures of this is remember when Jesus has the woman that's brought to Him, and they're all ready to stone her. What's, What's He say? He who is without sin cast the first stone, and so I think in this area especially, even now we need to put our stones down. There's going to be a lot of things that fly into our head that we think, if I can't relate to that, and then immediately I, I, I get judgmental on that. We need to put our stones down in this area, hugely. Uh, lust, the word lust is basically an, a heightened or an over-desire for something. Over meaning it becomes unhealthy. And so the reality is you can lust, and pretty much most lusts are for good things. In fact, it, the same word when it says the desires of the spirit, it's the same word it uses. And so the, the desire in and of itself isn't wrong, but when it becomes um, hyper, uh, more than it ought to be, that's when it turns into lust. And so lust can look like we think of, I'm lusting after this naked picture of a woman, or lust can look... Uh, Like you hear about how a husband led a devotional in this. And as a wife, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I wish my husband did that. That's not a bad desire. But if it turns into this longing and this coveting, that is lust. And so we are all guilty of that kind of covetousness. And most of it, again, is directed and steered towards, as Christians, probably good things that the enemy has just twisted slightly uh, to create an unhealthy longing for.
1: The word that Dick, or Nick was talking about, epithumia, is basically a, a longing and he said like it's an overpassion, a hyperdrive. It really denotes a strong desire for something with an accelerated appetite and, and as they both said. God built this into us we're supposed to have overdrive and accelerated appetite towards the right things and so when we try to shut that down you are working against something that cannot shut down and that's we're gonna talk about why it doesn't work is this was you've got to just basically feed it and direct it to the right direction where God wants it to go because it's not gonna shut down it is built in the heart of man to have overdrive towards the things of God and God And so as we begin to redirect that, uh, don't get to where it's, okay, we've got to do this, we've got to stamp it out. And we'll see later, trying to stop it and stamp it out will actually only arouse it. And we'll kind of show you how that works.
0: Uh, When I'm thinking through how we got to this point as a culture, and again, I I really believe that this has always been a problem. You read through the scriptures and this is a problem that started when Adam and Eve were around, right? Uh, But I really think... We approach sexuality either as a God, as gross, or as a gift. And I think the world has tasted the intoxicating power of sex and have, has realized the. it's probably the closest counterfeit that is offered to us. Meaning, if, if our hearts and our lives are meant to worship God, There's all these little pictures that we get on earth, right, that are supposed to direct us and point us to our Father. Um, Some of them are a little bit more powerful than others. And I think our sexuality and sex in general is probably the closest type, probably the closest picture. And therefore, we turn to that in ways that we don't turn to other things. You think about people who take their lives when their love life falls apart uh... who commit murder when these things happen you think about the extent of sin that goes to the point where we are we are willing to engage in this with small children with animals with the things that sometimes you can't get your mind there and i believe it's because this is designed by god to be very very powerful but yet the world has not seen it as something to drive them or to be used to the creator to the true image and they have begun to worship it in and of itself. Where now sex becomes the end. Sex becomes the all. And so it truly becomes their God. And gods demand everything. Even our God demands everything, right? And so you take a false God like sex, and just like any other idol, we become enslaved to it. We become mastered by it. And I think the world, again, has, has tasted. They, it's not... There's a reason that this industry is bigger than any other industry on the planet. There's a reason that the sex industry, whether you think about pornography or sex trafficking or even go so far as to think of the the cosmetic uh, industry, all of these things, there's a reason that it blows professional baseball, football, and basketball combined out of the water because it has become a god. On the flip side of that, what have we done as a church? Well, we know it's necessary to have kids. And so over the years, it's almost become this, this gross thing. Well, I guess maybe it's a duty, uh, but we don't talk about it. We don't, we don't invite God into this area of our life. We come here on Sunday. Uh, we go to our Bible studies. We want God to be a part of our, everything that we do, but this we can't imagine that he wants to invade. And so instead of using this powerful, powerful, powerful gift from God to drive us to Him, we just kind of stand, stand against it, and at the same time, we, it, it's always active in our life. Uh, it's always on. It's always affecting how I interact with people, uh, even gender differences. And so it, there's this weird tension that goes on within us as Christians. Lastly, again, I think we'll talk a little bit about what is this supposed to be, and I really do think God has created this. He knew it was powerful. He knows, um, He intentionally designed this to be so powerful, to steer us to Him, to allow it to be one of the greatest forms of worship, to say that kind of intimacy, that kind of pleasure, that kind of connection, that kind of comfort, that kind of oneness, that's what I want with you. That's what I want with you on a, a spiritual and heart level. And actually, aside from physical sexuality that's what I want for the body of Christ I want that kind of unity and this is a unique special covenant way that um, you can have a taste of what it's like the other day I was reading in the gospels when it talks uh, when a couple of Jesus disciples remember when they say who's going to sit at your right and sit at your left we'd like to be Uh, and he says it's not it's not for me to give it's not for you to you don't know what you're asking Uh, God's going to appoint those things. I was thinking through that and the reality of well someone, I don't think Jesus is just sitting there in heaven, uh, but someone is going to have honored positions in heaven. And someone is going to have an honored position with more honor than I am. And when the Bible says that the least of these will become the greatest, the last will become first. I think in heaven there, there are some people who have endured such suffering with such faith that when those people are placed in that honored position I will have zero jealousy. I can think of people in my life or stories that I've heard, and I will root for that young boy that suffered. I will root for that young girl that suffered. And I will be so glad that they have that honored position. I think that kind of oneness and that kind of unity, I get a taste of that when Sherry and I are intimate. I get a taste of what it's like to be so euphoric for another person and so connected for another person that I really believe our sexuality has given us tastes of heaven. Now at the same time I'm not just talking about uh, marital couples sexual relationship because people are called to singleness for seasons, people are called to singleness for life, and I think your sexuality is still in place in how you interact with members of your same-sex and members of the opposite sex. We'll touch on that a little bit more as we go. Uh, But I think this drives so much of what we do. Um, If you think through the reasons people struggle with pornography, you think through the reasons that that we approach uh, pornography and you ask yourself, what are you looking for? Or you you ask, you know, what are we getting out of this? Why why is it so prevalent? Um, There's various reasons. I'm just going to name a few. One of them is we use it to medicate emotions. And this is like any, any kind of vice that we use, any kind of coping mechanism. I feel something that is unpleasurable. I am sad, or I am angry, or there's, a, there's an emotion that's overcome me that I want to get away from. Most all of us want to get away from negative emotions, right? And so we find these things that make us feel better. Um, Many times, there's healthier outlets than others, but this is similar to when an alcoholic is angry, he's thirsty. When he's lonely, he's thirsty. You can, same thing that we would all say, oh, this is good, and it's maybe more healthy, but the gym, right? Or going out for a run. All of these things are very similar what they do to your body chemically as, as pornography. And so many times we use it just because we don't know how to handle emotions in a healthy way. We don't know how to feel pain or feel sadness and use that to go to God and use that to be encouraged by.
1: Let me point out here: when Nick's talking about that, we're talking at a kind of an, from an outside picture looking in. What we're saying is they don't even allow themselves to feel what they really are feeling. So if somebody walks out and rejects a person, they don't feel rejection, therefore I'm going to turn to pornography or my medication. They don't even allow themselves to put those together. All they feel is I'm thirsty, I'm horny, I, or whatever it might be, that's what they feel. And so they're wondering, why do I feel this so often? Well, it isn't true that they're actually feeling that d- drive for sexuality. Periodically they are. There is, as he'll talk about, there's a release in the body that does release, you do that. But the thing I want you to realize is, they don't know they're angry. They just wonder why, and that's why you'll have people come in, and I've had so many times, come in and the wife will say this, or the man, the husband will say this, is this all he thinks about? And the guy's going, yep, you know, this is all I think about. He really believes it, because that's all he feels, and allows himself to feel. We want to help people, and we'll talk about that in the solution, what they really are feeling because there are biblical anecdotes to what they're feeling that isn't just turn to your medication or turn to your vice.
0: Uh, Here's here's a big one in the Christian realm. Uh, I think the law or approaching my relationship with God on on a performance basis that will automatically breed a spirit of entitlement if I'm doing something well. So if I feel like hey, I have really committed to my walk with Christ or I've really committed to doing what is right in my relationship or just for today, I am working very hard to live right and I didn't get the response that I wanted. And so many times I've seen... um, So we turn to pornography because we feel like this behavior entitles me to this, whether it's uh, being intimate with Sherry because I put in the time and did the dishes and took her on a date, or whether it's simply, I prepared for the study the small group that I'm leading, and we had a great discussion, and I didn't get really anything out of it. Uh, I wasn't, I I, I don't, I feel like life is cheating me, so screw it. I'm going to rebel and indulge. And so there's a big, a lot of times this goes back to, am I approaching God on the basis of what I do or am I approaching God completely covered and blessed and loved by His grace? I totally believe that God blesses obedience but you can see the difference between where it can lead over to entitlement and if we feel like we didn't get what we wanted or we deserved all of a sudden there's this rebellious heart and people use this as an outlet because it feels better and they don't care if it's wrong in that moment Anything else that you guys would jump in on that? Okay, I want to I want to touch on really the, the the biochemical effects of specifically pornography addiction. And first, I, I suppose the first important thing to recognize is uh, initially this was probably ten years ago. There was talk of, hey, is pornography addictive? And most people were pretty hesitant to say that it was. Uh, Even if they were saying that it was bad, they were hesitant to say that it was. But science has... um, There's been many, many brain scans using MRI imaging to test uh, a person's brain when engaged in pornography and then more specifically they've taken multiple people who have self-claimed that they are highly addicted and then uh, a person who is not and taken the brain scans and and looked and seen what parts of their brain light up, you know, all these things. And so, evidence is huge now that, that pornography has the ability to be highly, highly addictive. And just like other things, we know cigarettes can be addictive. But not everyone who smokes, smokes often, right? And so, same thing, where just because you look at porn doesn't mean you're an addict. Obviously, but it's important to recognize where this can lead. Uh, the reason that I love this so much is not only because it's, it can be a warning of the damage and the danger of pornography, but I want to show you how everything that we're learning in science is backing what we already know in Scripture. Where the, thing, the design that God has has created you you start to see even my body even the human machine falls underneath that design and then it becomes such a beautiful picture so bear with me as we kind of talk talk chemicals Um, dopamine dopamine is a chemical that basically makes you feel good it's released as a reward okay so it's in the midbrain they call it the limbic system it's kind of the primitive part it's it's released as some people call it the pleasure zone it's a reward for doing certain things it's it teaches you to do something again and so it's very very useful in keeping you alive so for instance if uh, if my body is thirsty it's my brain's job to remember in vivid detail where I can go to get that need met basically where water can be found right and so this little chemical, dopamine, it's a neurotransmitter that helps us remember what satisfies these drives. So in, uh, in viewing pornography, uh, just like when you drink something when your body's hungry, a little dopamine surge gets released. When I view pornography, dopamine gets released. When I have orgasm, dopamine gets released. When I'm engaged in some form of sexual activity, dopamine gets released. Um, all of these things create a heightened tension and also a heightened focus. Okay? And so with that, think about God's design. I'm thirsty. This thing fires. It, it, remembers, it, it remembers where I got my last fix, basically. Remember where you were when you first uh, got this. You need to go there now and get it. That, that's very, uh, we would say, very primitive. It's just this boom, fires in you, Okay? And so think through that in the context of what if your dopamine fix was pornography? Or what if it was heroin? It does the exact same thing. What if it was methamphetamines? It does the exact same thing. And that's why a heroin addict driving by the first corner that he got his hit on, uh, he's drawn to that, right? There's this neural net that fires that just makes him feel the same thing. And in one sense, your brain is doing its job. Your brain is showing you this is where you're supposed to go to get this need met. Over time, when this takes place, some drugs are like this more than others, but there's a desensitization that occurs. Basically, you establish a higher tolerance. So whether it's a a substance-like drug or whether it's pornography, in a sense, continuing to do this, your brain fatigues, there's less of a dopamine spike, so you need more. Because it, it didn't it didn't feel the same way it felt the first time. And so again, this is what addictive behavior does, right? Uh, in, in our, we don't have to jump to it right now, but I'll point it out. In here, this little cycle is kind of describing this um, with scripture, it's describing this with lay language. I'm just gonna show you guys, we'll go back to that, what's taking place on the, uh, the chemical reality. So the brain eventually fatigues, limiting the release of dopamine, leaving the viewer wanting more, but unable to reach that same level of satisfaction. So again, this is when scripture says the flesh is never satisfied, that even chemically we're wired this way. And so again, that's why you hear what starts off as kind of just Victoria's secret picture, then turns into nudity, and then turns into the act of sex, and then it goes further and further and further down this road. So th- we have to recognize where this will lead, but at the same time, be safe enough to recognize just because uh, you walked by your husband and he glanced at the Victoria's Secret picture doesn't mean, oh my gosh, he's a porn addict. Okay, take a breath, calm down. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that.
1: Are you going to go into... What, one of the things that I really think are important to know, and it's very, very important that we're aware of it, uh, God tells us, do not be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. It's, it's foolish to be ignorant of his schemes. And the thing that, if you're aware of this and you know, okay, the, the long picture of this, if I can look back and see the long picture of this, the scriptures are very, very clear. It says, this sin is crouching at the gates and its desire is to overtake you. It gets to a place where you no longer will have control. It will control you. It'll take you to a place way further than you ever thought you would go, and it'll make you stay way longer than you ever intended to stay. And even in the scripture, God says he even does God even designed it this way when he says that because you have changed gods so and you've decided to make your own God, which can be pornography, because it's what you're turning to, on dependence, rather than God. He says, I'll give you fully over to that which you gave yourself to, that it will now control you. I want people to understand very, very clearly the seriousness of what this chemical thing does, all it does, and it moves you into a place where all of a sudden you're further than you wanted. One last thing that I have seen help at least stimulate people to break this, poly- this whole uh, cycle. The scripture says, if you continue to go down this path and give yourself over and it now has authority over you, and you decide to remain guilty in this these sins, this dopamine can be passed on down to your children and to your children's children to five generations and the purpose of that is so that your children will turn from this and turn to God and become closer but there are people that will go through this and their children will be born with this same dopamine ready to react to pornography so that's why it's important people realize wow this doesn't just stop here, this thing, we need to combat this so that Nick doesn't carry it through and then Callie doesn't carry it through. I've got to say, I will stand and fight this fight.
0: There's a, James 1.14 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Again, multiple scriptures that talk about this, but this one lays it out pretty straight line where these things lead to deeper and deeper sin. And again, like all sin. Uh, Neuroepinephrine. Yeah, please, Mom. Speak loud.
3: Oh, well, so if if you think about that James verse, what a fisherman does with that lure is he tries to draw that fish out from the safety of being under the bank to get him out there where he's in danger. So he's out of the shallow waters back into the dangerous waters or deep into the dangerous waters. And so we can just think, oh, this is nothing or this is just a small, simple thing. But if you follow that path of where that lure takes the fish, it, it does lead to death. And the other thing that a lot of times keeps me on the side of God, maybe this is not good to admit, but I, when I think about the Garden of Eden and I think about Satan getting Eve away, you know, she had no business entering into a conversation with him. He's a pretty clever guy, and she should have just told him to be gone and not tried to parley with the devil. Um, in the, I always think of it in this way, if you really look at the scriptures, sometimes we act like there's a God over here with the word, our God, there's Satan over here with his words, and there's that middle place that's us and our thinking, but there really isn't that middle place. Eve had God's word in one hand and the devil's in the other, and she chose to believe Satan and to go with Satan. And when I think about it that way, I'm a lot quicker to turn away from Satan and stick with God. And, you know, as we say, not to lead into fear in these things, but there's a hope in that, in recognizing the enemy and for who he is and running to God and to recognize his schemes.
0: Thanks, Mom. Okay, thinking back through, so we have, we have dopamine, which rewards you, drives you back to where you got your pleasure. Uh, Neuroepinephrine creates alertness. Uh, Oxytocin and vasopressin bonds. It it creates this community, this bond with either a person or an object or an image. Serotonin creates calmness. There's a sense of well-being and a sense of satisfaction. And so when you think about, it's easy to see how if all of these things are firing, And they're firing when I am engaging in pornography or when I am engaging in uh, sexual sin, how all of those things are driving me back to where I got my fix. They're driving, they're producing um, focus, alertness. They're creating a bond with that thing or that person or those people. Uh, You can see how easy it is to get engulfed in this to the point where you are a slave. Now let's change the scene here. Instead of allowing or encouraging or presenting our bodies as instruments that are going to drive us this way, think about the same machine, think about our brain functioning in the context of a covenant marriage relationship, in the context of oneness. All of a sudden this system works the same way. So engaged in sexual relationships with my spouse, together we experience a high, we experience an alertness, There's a deep calm afterwards. There's a gratification. There's a bonding. Now think through how awesome that is in God's design, where he creates, I can intensely focus on my wife. I get rewarded from the dopamine release. That she gets rewarded from the dopamine release. That it drives us back to where we got this. That's why I think scripture says, be intoxicated with the wife of your youth. Where we are to come together regularly and often, you think about the bonding agent in this. Where all of a sudden, sex now continues to produce and encourage and help us experience oneness, just like sharing hearts does, just like praying together does, just like worshiping together does all of these things that are spiritual disciplines that the Bible holds up in marriage, now think of that is how God made my brain. And so there's a beautiful picture of it is working for us and driving us to God and to our spouses when we are utilizing it in the correct environment.
1: Okay, now here I want to throw in a little disclaimer here. Let's pause for a minute because many of you are out here and you're saying, well, I don't have a spouse or my spouse isn't on board with this so I'm really limited and because that was the original design God still does not limit that and that means that God has set you in a place wherever you are that you can actually experience this even if your spouse is not responsive or even if your spouse is not there we're gonna show you how we do this a good illustration would be this is kind of a little bit of a side mark but also the the love and the pouring out and the intimacy that can still release the dopamine still have the same effect and it doesn't even have to be related just to sex I did a what I thought was a real joyful thing this last week and and I I got just unbelievable dopamine I was high I was excited and and I basically decided okay I'm gonna go ahead and find a way I know a, a good friend and it's a friend of ours that I wanted to make sure this person would enjoy a, a motorcycle. He'd want this certain motorcycle all of his life, and I said, I think I'm going to make this possible for him. So I brought him out and let him test drive the motorcycle. And I'm not kidding you, his dopamine was going, it, it bypassed his sexual drive at that time. <laughs> he was just, he was psychic. He said, I dream about it. I get up in the morning, it keeps me going, and I've got the same high, because I'm going to be able to be a part of God doing this, there it didn't work out and it didn't work out but the thing that it taught me is i had a total release of all of the same things directed in the right direction of trying to make somebody that i love have pleasure he had the same release of that and look at that wasn't sexual so you can look for creative ways that god will say okay right now to release this in a healthy godly way you're not married you're not in a situation you're not limited and we're gonna talk about that later when we talk about replacement.
2: That just reminds me of um, 1 Corinthians six seventeen. he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. This is in the same context of talking about fleeing from sexual immorality because it's a sin against your own body. But then it talks about how you are not your own, you were bought with a price so you can glorify God in your body. So God reminding us again, I've made you a sexual being, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him and Jesus being your richest treasure as singles, you know, and seeing some teenagers and stuff out here as you prepare for marriage, this can be a beautiful thing where lust and pornography can take you to a distorted view of, of what um, God has in store for you and possibly not in store for you in, this, in the sexual sense as far as he may call you to singleness. But the Lord... Our sexuality drives us to the creator of that because he, at his right hand, are pleasures forevermore. So as a single, a teenager, or like Bill said, someone who's in a marriage that there's not this um, unified view of, of God's design for marriage or there's dissatisfaction or whatever. The purpose is to drive you to the one who brings you pleasure, being unified with the Lord Jesus and him being your richest treasure. And then it you know, goes on into uh, 1 Corinthians 7, then it goes into the principles of marriage, how the husband is for the wife and the wife is for the husband. But the verses before that said that you can glorify God in your body through this, but also... You who are one with me will will experience this pleasure at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. So this is a a drive for you singles and for those who are not satisfied in their own marriage, keep going to the one who created that passion and that um, Desire. desire.
0: So in a sense, this isn't the end game. This is a picture and a type for this. And I think when we begin to see that, all that we just talked about that works so beautifully between a husband and a wife, think about approaching God this way. Think about, and again, I believe the brain and all this chemical talk, I think that supports the Word, not the other way around. I think that just backs what we already believe is true. And so, this same system is in place when I am in habit, because I am in covenant relationship with my God. I am in a marriage with my Jesus. And all of these things are to create and drive towards that. And this is something that he happened to give me for right now, for this season, that I can experience that with another individual. So again, this takes place. Quick quick story. I've been working with an individual for a long time in the counseling office. Um, and this individual has linked his desire for intimacy, just a brotherly bond, with his sexuality. And so he is a Christian who struggles with same-sex attractions. And it's always been, I long for, I desire to connect with another man, and I'm a sexual being. Satan has got him to tie them together. And as we have gotten to know each other, probably maybe for the first time, he has experienced what brotherly love is he has experienced what being intimate with our hearts and with our souls and knowing that someone has your back and you have he has experienced friendship on a man-to-man level and he realizes it is not sexual at all maybe that's uncomfortable for you guys but he can't even go there in his mind in this relationship because of the context it's not even there And so I think whether you're single, whether your wife's on board, whether your husband's on board, there's a lot of things that could create variables. But all of this stuff in one sense is the purpose is oneness. And I've experienced oneness with my wife in incredible ways. I've experienced oneness with my friends in incredible ways. I've experienced oneness with teams in incredible ways. All of this is to produce this unity and this oneness that we say, this is what community is. Wait till you meet my king wait till you have this with your God. Is that making sense?
1: It gets real confusing when, and I used to have a lot of conversation with God about why every 72 hours this testosterone is released in my brain. And it's like, I just shut it off, you know, and because I thought it was only released for the only satisfaction of that was to go to the well and only could be released sexually. And so it was real frustrating to say, why did you continually do this? And I'm sure many of the wives said, why did you do this? You know, <laughs> that's all he thinks about. But to know that, okay, this actually can have a different direction for it to go. Okay? And, and we'll, talk about, we'll talk about some of the other victory in that later.
0: Last thing I want to discuss as far as the brain goes. Uh, because I think it's valuable to recognize that temptation or even just kind of a, an arousal in and of itself is not wrong. And I think many, many times, uh, men and women specifically are just on different levels of this, where all of a sudden um, I walk by Victoria's Secret and there's the huge hanging deals. None of you ever see that, right? right. And if, if, if I have any kind of inkling that, hmm, you know, Sherry could be devastated with that. And oh my gosh, am I not good enough for you? Oh my gosh, do you, are you mad at me? Am I, am I not? A... All these things run into her mind. Um, there's basically, again, I, man is responsible for his response, women are responsible for their response. Um, but there is something in my limbic system, it's called the nucleus accumbus. And some people pull that out, it's basically in the same area. And it's, again, in that primitive part of my brain that just lights up. It's the same thing that lights up involuntary when I am hungry and I see food. And so if I'm hungry and I see food, that thing goes boop, boop, boop. And now, after that, that's involuntary. After that, I have to decide if I'm going to eat that food or not. So here's kind of the process of how it works. Don't get in his way when he's hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a different, different ball game altogether. But I want you to think through the person of Jesus Christ who lived sinlessly, who fully was dependent upon God the Father, but who also had the same brain system that we had. Jesus' nucleus accumbus lit up at different times. I'm convinced that it would light up um, in the area of sexual arousal. And here's the difference. So that in and of itself is not wrong. And I think men are more geared for that visually. Uh, not, it's not across the board, but that is involuntary, it'll pop. And so for us to condemn somebody for that light up is wrong. There is uh, Shanti Fieldman, she wrote that book called um, For Women Only, For Men Only. She, she does all kinds of surveys and experience experiments, and she is walking uh, in the mall with her, I think he was like four, five, six years old, real young boy, Four, I think four, mm-hmm. and he all of a sudden stops and is just staring at one of those pictures in Victoria's Secret. And she kind of comes over to him and she says, what are you doing? And he says, I like that. <laughs> and she says, what do you like about it? It makes me feel good. <laughs> This is a four-year-old who has had no sexual encounters. His nucleus accumbens was just going off, okay? Now, here's what's important. Scripture says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So this isn't saying, hey, ladies, just get over it. That's not what we're talking about. But we need to say, we cannot condemn something that God has purposed to gift us with. This initial light up or satisfaction, oh, I want that. Now, men, women as well, but in those moments, I have a choice to make. That goes first, and then it moves to the frontal lobe. This is the decision-making. This is where your values are set in stake. This is where your willpower comes in. Now, I have to decide, am I going to submit like an animal... To the primitive part of me and just indulge in my pleasures and my lusts. And the Bible is full of how that is sin. Or do I hold this up against the knowledge of God and take that thought captive and say, I'm not eating the cake. I'm not going to engage in that thought. I'm not going to approach that girl. I'm not going to click that website. I'm not going to stare at the Victoria's Secret. I'm going to turn my eyes towards my wife and say, I'm glad I'm with you, honey. It's those, that is the moment of choice of whether I sin or whether I do not. But for all of us to recognize, it's okay to have that initial attraction. Now the question at that point is, do I, do I direct that under the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit and His Word, or do I just go with my primitive animal-like reaction?
1: And, uh... We'll also look, we say we're going to get to all these things, we actually will try. Uh, But the enemy has a real, real tactic that he uses right now. And he, he says, because your emotions feel this, then you're a hypocrite if you act different than how you feel. And that can be towards another person, that can be towards anything. And he says, you're a hypocrite. Just like even forgiveness, sometimes you don't feel like forgiving somebody that has really hurt you or hurt your child or your grandchild Uh, and I can say well if I do choose to forgive I don't feel like it then Satan says well then you're a hypocrite the definition of a hypocrite is pretending to be something different than what is true and we're gonna see later on that you have been made after the holiness and righteousness of God you're perfected in love you're perfected in forgiveness the truth is that I can act in line with this I don't have to follow my impulses when I look at this picture Uh, I'm actually not being a hypocrite just because I act different than how I feel. And then we're going to show you how do you actually empower, get empowered to act different than how you feel, and it's actually supporting the truth whether than it is the emotional lie.
0: So last thing before we will take a little break here, is you know why are we doing, why are we doing this on pornography and why aren't we doing this on on cocaine? Uh, Because really on one side they have really really similar effects within your, within your brain. And again, I believe that the primary reason pornography and sexual addiction is so dangerous is because in our culture it is free or very, very cheap. It is easily, easily accessible and it is easy to keep in secret. And, and those three things are very, very dangerous for us as a culture. And so I think We'll talk about the solutions, um, we'll talk about what doesn't work uh, and empowering our own flesh instead of the spirit and then we'll talk about solutions and part of that is if that's the three-legged stool, you know, if it's free, it's secret, it's accessible, what things can we kick out so this thing doesn't have a grip in my life? What things can I battle against those, that recipe, those, that three-pronged recipe of disaster? Uh, let's take let's a take 10-15 minute break. 10-minute break. So ten, it's 9:50 right now, if that's right, so we'll look at about 10 o'clock. There's
1: coffee downstairs.
0: Coffee downstairs.: Coffee and snacks downstairs.